Hello and welcome to the Hope City Church podcast. We're always so encouraged to know that God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please send a message to lifechange at hopecityonline.net. Now, let's prepare our hearts for a powerful message out of God's Word. This morning, I'm, I'm, I'm actually really, really excited because I had an experience just this past week that really kind of opens the door to this conversation. So those of you who uh, have been hanging out with us for a while, you know that I do this. For those of you that are new or just checking us out, you may not be aware, but I actually three or four nights a week uh, drive for Uber in the middle of the night. I do it for three reasons. Number one, I have five kids, and so I drive for my sanity just to get out of the house for an extended period of time and have an excuse to do so. Uh, Number two, uh, you make fairly decent money if you drive late at night when nobody else wants to drive. And And number three, it gives me a chance to hang out with people in our city that I would otherwise not normally have the opportunity to hang out with. One of the things that I'm learning is when they say that 72% of of our city is unchurched, Um, They aren't kidding. A lot of the people that I run across in the middle of the night have no intentions of coming to church anywhere on a particular Sunday morning. So it gives me a chance to have church with people that I wouldn't get to have church with on a regular basis. And so it's a really, really cool um, chance for me more than anything, just to connect with a different side of our city. For those of you that aren't familiar with how Uber works, I need to give you the quick rundown so that the context of this story will make sense. Basically, here's what happens. If you need a ride, you've got an app. You've got the Uber app. It's already got your credit card information in there. It's already got everything that's going to be necessary for the particular trip. You put in your destination and you click find ride. One of the drivers who are nearby who also have a driver app, they claim your ride and then they come and pick you up and take you to your destination. Really, really simple model, but it works really, really well. So this past Friday night, um, it was about 2.15 in the morning, and to give you a little bit more context on how I do this, this is not every Uber driver, but this is me, um, what I'll do is I'll make sure that I am dead center city, uptown Charlotte at 2 a.m., because that is when all the bars and clubs close at the exact same time. Now, for those of you who aren't aware of what happens in our fair city at 2 a.m., let me enlighten you. It literally looks like a Mardi Gras party has just released into the streets of Charlotte every Friday and Saturday at 2 a.m. Because every bar in the city, every club in the city, every restaurant in the city all closes at the exact same time. The light rail shut down 30 minutes earlier. So everybody is drunk and everybody needs a ride. So they're all like meandering their way around the sidewalks. Driving is super sketch and dangerous in the middle of the night in Charlotte because people don't know the difference between a sidewalk and a street. So they just kind of walk everywhere, right? And it's flooded with people. So if you play your cards right as an Uber driver and you leave your app turned off until about 2.15, here's what happens. 2.15, the surge prices go through the roof. Why? Because everybody's desperate for a ride. Now, I don't condone getting trashed on a Friday or Saturday night. However, I would like to tell you that it works out for my benefit because these people don't care how much the ride costs. They just want to get home safely. And so I wait and I wait and I wait until the app shows that the surge pricing is through the roof, turn my app on, claim a ride, and then I go to wherever it is that I'm supposed post to go. Friday night, I was doing that, claimed my ride. It was a girl named Faith. 
It was an XL trip. I'm always a big fan of XL trips. Let me tell you why. Two reasons. Number one, you make more money because it's a bigger vehicle. So you make more money on the fare. And number two, there's more people in the car. So it's not nearly as awkward. When one person gets in, you feel obligated to carry on a conversation with this person who's not going to remember you the next morning. However, when multiple people get in the car, they carry their own conversation in the back and you just drive them to wherever it is that they're supposed to be. So there's this XL trip that I'm supposed to be picking up from this girl named Faith at the epicenter uptown. So I drive towards the epicenter. I'm pulling right up to the epicenter. I got my window rolled down like I always have my window rolled down. I'm looking for Faith and I see this girl, this blonde girl, this weird looking girl because she's super, super, super trashed. Like like she went hard Friday night, y'all. I'm not even kidding. She was going nuts. And so she looks at me. I look at her. She kind of waves like this and I kind of wave like that. And that's really what you do like because you see on the GPS like where the people are. And so when they see you pull up, you make a connection with them. They come and they get in your car and then you take them to your destination, right? Well, this girl walks up to my car and as she's walking towards the car, I yell out the window, are you Faith? She doesn't respond at all. She doesn't say a word. She opens my door. She gets in my car. She's sitting in the passenger seat of my car, not in the back seat of my car, which is already just a little awkward when one blonde girl at 2.30 in the morning gets in the passenger seat of your family vehicle, right? And so I, I, I look at her again and I ask the question again, are you Faith? And she says, huh? <laughs> at which point, I wasn't trying to be rude, wasn't trying to be a jerk. It just kind of fell out. I said, I'm not sure what was complicated about that question. Are you faith, right? And she, and she proceeds, no, my name's Cameron. Nice to meet you, right? And I said, well, Cameron, it's great to meet you too. My name's Robbie, but I've actually already got a ride. I can't give you a ride. I, she said, my phone died. Can you just take me somewhere? And I was like, that's not really how Uber works. Like, that's not exactly the, the protocol, um, but I've actually already got a ride coming. And she begins to kind of break down, and she says, me and my boyfriend got in this big fight, and he's super mad at me, and I'm really scared. And at this moment, now I feel like I need to be a citizen superhero, right? And so I want to remove this girl from a potential domestic violence situation, and I'm thinking I'm going to do a good deed, right? Well, I'm like, okay, you know what? I'll at least I'll, I'll drive her at least away from this area and then drop her off in a safely uh, lit like open public place right about that time here comes faith walking up to my car the real faith like the actual faith the faith that paid for this uber ride right her and all five of her friends so six people come walking up to my car and they're about to pile into the back of my car and they look at me kind of funny like why do you have your girlfriend with you on this particular uber ride and i'm looking at them like i really wish i could explain it to you but it all just happened 10 seconds ago and i really don't know what's going on right now and they all pile in my car so I, I click start trip. They want to go to Huntersville, North Carolina, which is no problem. It's a great fare. It's a great ride. Go up to the north end of town. So I look at Cameron and I said, Cameron, I got to go to Huntersville. And she's like, just let me ride along. I'll charge my phone and then I will, uh, I'll, 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 I'll ask for you to take me wherever it is that I need to go. And I said, again, Uber pool was not really a normal thing in Charlotte yet. And so this is not how this is supposed to work. And she's like, can you please just let me, let me, I, I really need a ride. So being the good hearted, kind pastoral individual that I am, I said, sure, why not? All the way to Huntersville, her and her boyfriend were going crazy on the phone, right? Yelling, cussing, screaming at each other, all this crazy stuff. And all the while the girls in the back are all like, what is going on right now, right? 
and I desperately want to explain to them what's going on, but I don't want to throw Cameron under the bus or embarrass her. So I'm just like, I, I, I wish I could tell you, I, I don't even know what's going on right now. And so we drive to Huntersville. I drop these girls off. As soon as they get out of the car, Cameron uh, puts in her address. It's in Cornelius, which is a little bit further away. But I said, you know what? This actually worked out really, really good because this is on the same end of town. It's only 10 more minutes up the road. I'll take her to where she needs to go, drop her off, and then we will call it a night and I'll go home. We get to Cornelius and bless Cameron's little heart. She didn't recognize the area at which we landed on the Uber route. And she said, I don't recognize any of this. And I said, well, is this where you live? She's like, oh, we're not going to where I live. We're going to an Airbnb. And I said, have you been to the Airbnb? She said, yeah, and it doesn't look like this at all. I said, well, let me see the address of your Airbnb. So she showed me the address of her Airbnb. And sure enough, it's Admiral's Court, just like I'd put in. But it's Admiral's Court, Charlotte, North Carolina, not Admiral's Court, Cornelius, North Carolina. Turns out Cameron needed to go three minutes from the epicenter, and she has taken us on this wild goose chase up to Lake Norman, to the far side of Lake Norman. She's rode along with me, made another ride completely awkward. I've had five-star ratings all along now, probably got a one-star rating thrown in the mix. It's a mess. It's a whole big bad situation. And so I I grab her phone, and, and I said, let me put in the correct address. So I put in the correct address, handed it back to her, and she clicks XL. She clicks the XL trip, even though there's only one person in the car. She picks the most expensive Uber ride she could possibly pick from Cornelius 35 minutes back down the road to Charlotte. So homegirl camera wakes up on Saturday morning and she realizes that her three minute trip, which should have cost $4.50, is actually going to cost $48.32 because she decided that she wanted to ride all the way up to Cornelius because she made some terrible decisions. Now, I tell you that big, long story for this reason. In that moment, I had a thought, and the thought was, man, that's good. She needs to learn her lesson. She reaps what she sows, right? She made the decision to drink too much and go hard. She made the decision to get in a stranger's car. She made the decision to let her phone die. She made the decision to, 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 to put in the wrong address. She made the decision to drink so much that she couldn't pick which Uber she was supposed to pick and pick the most expensive one. She will reap what she sows, right? And sure enough, the next morning, she's going to reap the consequences of her bad decision. And I'm getting paid, right? So I'm feeling good about the whole thing. This girl reaps what she sows. And so often as followers of Jesus, when we think about people reaping what they sow, we think of it in a negative light, right? You'll get what's coming to you. Karma, you reap what you sow. And what we mean by that is you're eventually going to have to deal with the consequences of your bad decisions. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but you're eventually, it's going to come back around to haunt you. We always think of that phrase, reaping what you sow, in a negative light, because it's true. But when the scriptures talk to us about sowing and reaping, it's not in a negative light. It's in regards to a specific conversation that I want to have with you guys this morning on stewardship. When the Bible talks to us about reaping and sowing, what it says to us is that what we sow 
in our lives outwardly to others is what will come back to benefit us. So if, if we extend grace, if we extend mercy, if we extend hope, if we extend love, if we extend compassion, if we extend forgiveness, then we will reap that back. So often when people think of this word stewardship, they think of one thing, money. But stewardship has nothing to do with money. Stewardship is about managing whatever it is that you've been given and managing it well. So if you've been given grace, managing grace well. If you've been given mercy, managing mercy well. If you've been forgiven, managing that forgiveness well. And the way you manage it well is to extend it or give it away to others. When the scripture tells us that a man reaps what he sows, what it's in reference to is us managing or stewarding well or giving away or being generous what we have been blessed to receive, what we have been called to manage or steward. And Jesus talks about this specifically in Luke's gospel, chapter six. If you got your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn there really, really briefly. Luke chapter six, I'm gonna pick it up in verse 37. There's a particular passage of scripture that I wanna read to you guys this morning that specifically gets used literally every time I've heard it used in money sermons, sermons on finances, sermons on giving, sermons on generosity. But I wanna back up from verse 38 and read verse 37 so that you see the actual context of this particular passage so that you understand when we talk about sowing and reaping and we talk about stewardship, we're not talking about money, we're talking about whatever it is that you have in your possession, whatever it is that you've been blessed with or given. Luke chapter six, verse 37 says this, do not judge and you will not be judged. Don't condemn and you will not be condemned. Basically, if you choose to withhold judgment and extend, and instead extend grace, then you'll be given grace. You'll be given mercy. Don't condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. And then it goes on to verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. But what are we talking about giving away here? We're not talking about money. We're not talking about resources, although that absolutely can apply. But what we're talking about here is giving away whatever it is that has been freely given to you. The gospel of Jesus has been extended to you, meaning even while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Meaning he said to you, you're a hypocrite and I'm telling you, I love you anyway. And I want you to give that freely to other people. I gave you grace, I want you to give grace. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, not just a little bit. Like I wanna give you way more than you could possibly ask or imagine. I wanna give you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. That'll all be poured into your lap for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Just take just a second and write this down. When you are generous with what you've been given, you'll be given more, lots more. And televangelists have hijacked this reality and said, if you'll sow that seed, plant that seed of $1,000, you'll get $10,000 in the mail, blah, 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 blah. But that's hijacking a verse for personal gain. When the context that this verse was given was whatever it is that's been placed into your hand, not just monetary realities, but spiritual realities. When you're generous with what you've been given, you'll be given more. But when you keep what you've been given, that's all you'll ever have. See, I know a lot of people that have their get out of hell free pass. 
They've got their, I, I follow Jesus. I show up to church once a week. Um, I said the prayer when I was young, I got baptized. But they're the least generous people. They're the least gracious people. They're the least compassionate people. They're the most judgmental people. And you need to be reminded that whatever you give, that's what's going to be given to you. And if you choose to withhold whatever it is that you have, then that salvation that you got, that's all you'll ever have. You say, man, I want more influence. I want more opportunity. I want more, I want more uh, purpose in my life. I want to make a bigger difference. I want my, my name to count for something. If you want that, start being generous with everything that you've been given. Because the way that you get more, the way that you receive more, the way that you are blessed with more is to be extremely generous with what you have. Because God is not looking for bowls. God is looking for conduits at which he can use to pour into the lives of other people. God doesn't want to just bless you with grace. God doesn't want to just bless you with mercy. God doesn't just want to bless you with forgiveness. God doesn't want to bless you with resources. He wants to bless you so that you can be a blessing to others. And when you choose to withhold and keep what you have, he'll stop pouring blessings in because he knows he can no longer use you to be a conduit in the lives of others best example I could give you is this, and I'll, I'll do my best to close with this. Best example I could give you would be the geographic reality of the nation of Israel. I think I've told you guys on several occasions that about 10 years ago, my wife and I had the chance to go to Israel, and it was so amazing to see um, the context of the scriptures come alive through geographical context, right? So when it says that Jesus went up to or when Jesus went down to, you could actually see and understand and follow the narrative of the New Testament. But there are three major bodies of water that are interconnected that are mentioned throughout the scriptures in the Old and the New Testament that we had the privilege of going and seeing. The first of which is the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is in the northern part of Israel. Sea of Galilee is where the miracle of Jesus walking on the water took place. The Sea of Galilee is where Jesus said to the disciples, hey, cast your nets on the other side of the boat. The Sea of Galilee is where Jesus calmed the storm and said, peace be still. The Sea of Galilee is where all these great miraculous things took place. And then funneling out of the Sea of Galilee flows the Jordan River. And the Jordan River is that river that in the Old Testament, the Israelites walked across on dry ground. The Jordan River is the place where we find John the Baptist baptizing people. And I had the privilege of being baptized in the Jordan River. And if I can tell you one thing about the Jordan River, it would be this, it's freezing. It's absolutely freezing cold. Anybody you ever see that has this beautiful picture of them being baptized in the Jordan River because they finally got to go to Israel and experience this for the first time, know this, it is not a beautiful thought going through their mind. It is how the heck can I get out of here as quickly as possible because this water is freezing, right? And then the Jordan River flows down into an area that really looks like a desert, a deserted area with big crevices and cliffs and mountains. And in one of these deep crevices, one of these deep dry valleys, there's the Dead Sea. And the Jordan River flows down into the Dead Sea. Now, what's fascinating is, is the Jordan River flows into the Dead Sea, but there's not an outlet for the Dead Sea, which I'm not like a scientist or anything, 
but I recognize like the reality of obvious stuff. So I'm the dumb guy that asked the dumb question when we were in Israel. If the Jordan River flows into the Dead Sea, but nothing flows out of the Dead Sea, where does all the water go and why is it not overflowing? Apparently there's this thing called um, uh, uh, like evaporation and it's hot and the water goes back up into the sky and the clouds carry the water up north and then it rains on the Sea of Galilee again. I didn't know all this, but apparently this is how science works. I didn't know. Forgive me for being ignorant asking the dumb question. But there's no outlet at all for the Dead Sea. Water continually flows into it. Water continually evaporates out. Now there's tons of fish and sea life in the Sea of Galilee. And there's a lot of that sea life that makes its way down the Jordan River, but nothing survives in the Dead Sea. And the reason is because there's no outlet. And because there's no outlet, all the salt and minerals for the, 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 real, the, the remainder of thousands of years have filled up this particular basin and caused the water to be uninhabitable. Now it's great for swimming, right? We had the privilege of swimming in the Dead Sea. It's the coolest thing you'll ever experience because the water is so salty that you're extremely buoyant and you cannot sink in the Dead Sea. So you dive in and then you bounce back. It's really weird. Um, you try to, if you, if you tried to drown, you couldn't. Like it, it automatically like pushes you way up to the top. It's a really cool experience. So it's super, super salty and it's a lot of fun to swim in. But sea life can't live there because there's no outlet. A lot of life in the Sea of Galilee. No life in the Dead Sea. That's why it's called the Dead Sea. So Robbie, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say where there is inflow and outflow, life is given, life is bred, life occurs but where there is only inflow and no outflow, everything dies. If you're taking notes, write this down. Giving and receiving breeds new life, but withholding only breeds death. Giving and receiving breeds new life, withholding only breeds death. When you're allowing the Lord to graciously pour out blessings on your life and then you choose to be a good steward of those blessings, be a good manager of those blessings and invest those blessings into the lives of other people you not only find life in yourself but you breathe life into other people when you accept the blessings of God all for yourself and then you choose to withhold those blessings from other people, meaning God forgives you but you hold a grudge against somebody else God gives you grace, but you choose not to be gracious to somebody else. God is extravagantly generous to you and you choose to withhold your resources from people who so desperately need it. When that happens, it squelches the ability for you to experience life yourself and no life can flow through you either. Withholding only breeds death. Here's why I share this with you this morning. Because I'm convinced that God wants us to be the kinds of people that are conduits for life and life abundantly on this planet. God wants us to take hope and healing and grace and mercy and life 
to dead places. But we can only do that if we're willing to be people who are willing to give it all away. Whatever God has blessed us with, we are willing to share it with others. And if we're not, God will use somebody who is. And then when you pray and you beg and you plead, you ask God, God bless, God bless, God bless, God bless. God give me, God restore to me. God grant me the opportunity. God's gonna go, I want to, I desperately want to. The problem is I can't use somebody who's holding it all for themselves, who's not willing to give it away. And this applies to every area of your life. It applies to your resources. It applies to your time. It applies to your spiritual gifts. It applies to the things that God has blessed you with. It applies to your family. God says, I have richly blessed you so that you could richly bless others. Don't allow your life to be a breeding place for death. Instead, allow the abundant life that I've given you to be abundant life in the lives of other people. Does that make sense? God doesn't want us to operate like the Dead Sea. Feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. I'm good opportunity arises. God wants us to breathe life like the Sea of Galilee so that life all around us can flourish. The cool thing I like about this particular conversation is that the application is tangible, specific, and immediate. You don't have to go think about this. You don't have to go pray about this. You don't have to go process this. You don't need to go figure out or have a conversation of how to apply this. You already know what you've been blessed with. I don't know what that is for you, but you know what it is. What have you been blessed with? Is it influence? Is it time? Is it money? I don't know what it is for you, but whatever it is that you've been blessed with, you can walk out of this place today, today, and say, you know what? I'm gonna go start giving that away. I'm gonna go start loving on people today. I'm gonna go start showing grace and mercy to people today. I'm gonna start withholding judgment and offering mercy today. I'm going to go and be a conduit right here, right now, today. This is not a complicated sermon. This is not a difficult sermon. This is all of our cookies are on the bottom shelf, right? Super, super easy, super, super like low commitment level. Whatever you got, go give it away start to do that, God will start to breed life through our lives. God, we love you and we thank you for the power of your word, the truth that you give us in your word and the difference that it makes in our existence. We ask that you give us boldness, courage, willingness, selflessness, and a desire to give it all May we be used for your sake.